This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Pastor Matt Woodley and is part three of our Why Jesus series. In the 1920s, a young African-American writer and poet moved into New York City to be part of what was called the Harlem Renaissance, an explosion of creativity and writing and thinking by uh, black Americans in Harlem and in, around New York City. This young poet's name was Langston Hughes. Langston Hughes had a very simple vision for his poetry. He wanted to capture with simple language, with raw feeling, the, the beauty and the laughter as well as the heartache and struggles of not only the black experience in America, but just also ordinary people living ordinary lives. One of his poems captures that best to me. It's a poem simply titled, Dreams. Maybe you've heard it, it goes like this. Hold fast to dreams, for if dreams die, life is a broken-winged bird that cannot fly. Hold fast to dreams, for if dreams go, life is a barren field frozen with snow. Hughes had some critics who said he was too negative, he was too pessimistic, that he should portray the African-American experience, the experience of the poor more positively, but Hughes pushed back against that criticism, and he said, no, you don't understand what my poetry is all about. And he said it, he put it in these words. He said, my poetry is for, and I quote, workers and singers and job hunters, people up today and down tomorrow, working this week and fired next week, beaten and baffled, buying furniture on the installment plan, hoping to get a new suit for Easter, and then pawning that suit before the 4th of July. Hughes understood that sometimes life does things to us and our heart feels like a broken winged bird. Sometimes our heart feels like a barren field frozen with snow. And I think he captured the mood in this passage, at least at the beginning of this passage, with the two travelers that are on the road who encountered Jesus. Now, it's a funny story, actually, because we see in verse 15 that two people are on the road. They're going to Emmaus. It's after the crucifixion of Jesus. They don't know that he's been risen from the dead yet, and they're all confused. And they're going on the road to a little town called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Jesus comes up beside them, but they don't know it's Jesus. So they're talking to Jesus about Jesus, but they don't know they're with Jesus. And Jesus plays along with it. It's the best and longest practical joke in the Bible, okay? And Jesus knows it, and we know it, but they don't know it. So I find it pretty funny. And their eyes were kept from recognizing him. But notice their mood in verse 21. These two travelers, we know one of them is named Cleopas. We'll just call him Cleo for short. And the other one, we don't know. Could be his wife, could be a woman, could be another guy. We don't know it's left almost kind of blank, like maybe you should insert yourself into the story. So they tell Jesus in verse 21, they say, but we had hoped that Jesus was the one to redeem Israel. Now if you caught those three words, three of the saddest words in the English language, we had hoped. In other words, we once hoped we once dreamed, we once had a healthy wing, but now we have a broken wing. 
Now we have a broken dream. Our world has been shattered. We had hoped Jesus was going to save us. We had hoped he'd been the, the savior of Israel. But then the crucifixion happened, and it all fell apart. We had hoped. You know, I think Langston Hughes was on to something, because I think all of us, not just the poor, all of us have experiences in life that we would call we had hoped experiences. We had hoped that I could have had the dream job. We had hoped that I had hoped that life would be easier at this point. We had hoped that the marriage would be easier. We had hoped that our health would be better. We had hoped that mom or dad could have loved me. We had hoped that the depression or the loneliness would be better at this point in my life. We had hoped in this nation that we would have less racism. We had hoped, in, as my friends in Nigeria might say, we had hoped that our villages wouldn't be destroyed by terrorists. We had hoped. But we're not sure if we're hoping for that anymore. So we bounce back. We talk about human resiliency, but there's still that little broken winged bird inside of us that's not really flying the way it was meant to fly. Well, in our Bible passage, in this story, Jesus is going to do a judo move, which he always does. Takes his opponent's biggest strength and turns it around and flips it and turns it into victory. So he does a massive, cosmic, spiritual judo move. Not in just this story, but in the whole human race and the whole human story. And he takes our we had hoped experiences and turns them into a take my hope experience. Jesus becomes the friend on our journey, offering extraordinary hope for ordinary people on an ordinary journey. That's what Jesus does. Now, if you're new to church, or if you've been coming to church for a long time, at some point you might think, gosh, it's kind of predictable at church. Every time they talk about good news. Well, it's supposed to be predictable. And it's predictable because the Bible, every page actually, Jesus is going to tell us, every facet of the Christian story is like a big neon sign pointing to Jesus. Pay attention to Jesus. Jesus himself says this in verse 27. He says that he began with Moses and all the prophets. That's the Old Testament. He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. It all points to Jesus. And whenever Jesus is around, there's colossal good news. And so that's what we do every Sunday as we talk about the good news of Jesus. So I want to look at two questions this morning. One is, what is this good news? And then, who can receive this good news? Who is it for? So what is the good news? So let's go back to our story. So there's these two travelers walking along, and Jesus comes, and it says that they were involved, really literally, in the original language, it says they were involved in a very intense conversation. So they are deep in conversation, going back and forth. Probably their heads are down, they're going, what, what do you think, what do you think? And then, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Jesus comes up. And he says, hey, what are you guys talking about? And in verse 18, Cleo says, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? It's basically an insult. It's like, you've been living under a rock, buddy? 
Somebody in the first service told me, actually, Jesus was living under a rock for three days, but <laughs> so, yeah, I was living under a rock, as a matter of fact. And then, but here's what I love about Jesus. He's like so non-offended by this. He doesn't get all like bristly, like, don't you know? Don't you know? Haven't you been listening? He says, what things? Tell me more. Kind of draws them out. Tell me more about this very fascinating story. It's all new to me. And then verse 19, they, both of these people, tell him this jumbled story just kind of bursts out of them. And it says they both told it, so they're kind of like going back and forth. And basically, well, it's about Jesus of Nazareth. He's this, this great guy. He did these great things. He said these great things. It, it was amazing. We had hoped that he was the one. And then he got crucified. And it just shattered our world. And now there's all these rumors floating around, people seeing angels, people saying he might be alive, people like, we can't find his body, and I, we just don't know what's going on. So this story just kind of jumbles out of them. And then in verse 25, Jesus says, Oh, foolish ones. Literally translated, this would be my, my dad's version of the Bible. He would say, you knuckleheads, okay? And slow of heart. It's not that you don't have enough IQ. It's just that your heart is really slow. You're uh, below average on the spiritual speed track, okay? I don't know if you can relate to that at all. But, oh, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And then Jesus says, there's one thing missing in the tale that you just told about Jesus of Nazareth. There's a couple. Basically, they don't say anything that's false, but they leave some big things out. Like, the cross was actually part of God's plan. So he says in verse 26, Jesus tells them, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? In other words, it was necessary for this Jesus, remember Jesus is talking, but they don't know it's Jesus, wasn't it necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? In other words, it was part of God's plan. It wasn't an accident. It was God's plan between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that Jesus the Son would enter into our brokenness into all of our we-had-hoped experiences, onto all of our broken-winged experiences, he would enter into it, all of our grief, all of our sorrow, all of our sin and evil and brokenness, he would walk into it, he would experience it, he would feel it, he would bear it, and then he would triumph over it. He says not only that he would suffer these things, but then enter into his glory. To borrow an image from the writer C.S. Lewis, he talks about a little different context, but he talks about a pearl diver somewhere off the coast of Papua New Guinea or something, a pearl diver going, stripping himself, basically naked, and then diving into the cold water and plunging into the darkness, into the depths, into the muck, into the mire, into the weeds, and going into the very darkness and the very worst part of the ocean, the most dangerous part of the ocean, and then pulling up this pearl of great price 
and coming up and up and up and then bursting through the water, breathing aloud and saying, I've done it, I got it. The pearl of great price. That's what Jesus did. He went down into our darkest darkness, our worst sin, our most painful brokenness and sorrow. And he got for us the pearl of resurrection. And now you and I can enter into that glory as well. We share his sufferings, but we share his glory. If you believe in Jesus, you are united with him. That's what it means to be a Christian, not to just think certain things in your head, as important as that is, but to be united with the death and resurrection of Jesus. You're with him and in him. There's this great line in Lord of the Rings, um, which I haven't quoted from in five years, so I'm going to quote from it again, okay? So, but my favorite line, my favorite line in the books is after the ring has been destroyed, Sam wakes up, he thinks his hero, this Christ figure Gandalf, has been, is dead. And in the book, Sam sees Gandalf alive, the ring has been destroyed, he's still alive, and Sam says, is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? And what's happened to the world is usually used like, the world's just so messed up. What's happened to the world? What's gone wrong? But this is what, what's gone right with the world? What's happened to the world? Is everything sad going to come untrue? And the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus is, the message of the resurrection is, yes. When you're united with Jesus in his suffering and in his glory, every sad story will come untrue. But it will be even better than as if you just lost something and it got restored. It'll be even better than that. The restoration will be even at a higher level because you'll see the glory and the victory and what was broken is now returned and it's even better. That's the good news. No matter what broken wing you have this morning, eventually Jesus is gonna heal it. I'm not saying he'll heal everything in this life or you'd be in heaven. But every sad story will come untrue. That's the good news. Now, who is this for? Because I think this is where we often get tripped up, at least emotionally. Intellectually, you might say, yeah, I believe that. But emotionally, you might say, yeah, but I'm not sure if that's really for me. Remember Langston Hughes' words, the poet? He wrote poetry for workers and singers and job hunters and people up today and down tomorrow, beaten and baffled. Sometimes that's like us. You know, this story, I love this story because it's about ordinary people. Here's these two knuckleheads. They're slow of heart. They don't get it. They're not in the spiritually advanced class. They're kind of a slow group, but they're making progress, but they're moving very slowly. They meet Jesus in a very ordinary place. It's not in Jerusalem, the center of all the religious power and action and activity and hype. It's on this dusty road to Emmaus. It's in a podunk place, as we would say, and they encounter Jesus in a very ordinary way. They don't even know it's Jesus most of the time until he opens their eyes. If you're going to make up a story about the resurrection, this is not how to do it. Actually, there are 
Gospels that were written later than the four Gospels that some people in our culture are really enamored with that talk about the resurrection, but they're completely non-historical, and they many times present Jesus in these dramatic, amazing encounters, you know? They're not like the road to Emmaus at all, which is one reason why I think this is so authentic, why it really happened. They're describing just in an ordinary encounter. But there's another reason why this might be in the Bible today. It might, this story might be here for you this morning. You, if you think, my spiritual life is kind of ordinary. It's not amazing every day. The things I do for work are not amazing every day. My encounters with Jesus are not dramatic. And you might be that kind of person you're just like waiting. When are the spiritual fireworks going to start? When are the amazing things going to happen? Then I can follow Jesus. And maybe Jesus is saying this morning, maybe I'm right here. Maybe I'm walking beside you on your road to Emmaus. Maybe there's a trouble in your life a heartache, a broken winged experience that's actually drawing you closer to Jesus right now. Maybe there's a friend in your life who's there to encourage you and help you draw closer to Jesus. You know, verse 32, these friends, they say to each other after they realize it's Jesus, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Jesus wants to do that for you and me this morning, to open our eyes. Maybe the eye-opening experience we need is just to know that he's already working within us. He already wants to reach us. He already wants to transform us. Maybe the biggest issue blocking your spiritual transformation this morning is that you have told yourself that your experience is too ordinary. It's too plain. It's too bland. And Jesus can't really reach and change you. Here's what I'd like you to consider, if that describes you at all. Two things. Number one, I invite you to repent of that, because that could be an attitude that is not of the Lord. Jesus could be saying, I didn't tell you that. I want to open your eyes right now. Maybe the first step is just to repent and say, Lord, I've blocked you, but the problem isn't with you. The problem is with me. I've been shutting you out, not you've been shutting me out. But second, invite Jesus into your, what you consider, your ordinary, everyday journey. Invite him into that. Maybe it's not spectacular. Maybe it's plodding. Maybe it's slow. Maybe your spiritual life isn't on an incredible high right now. Keep asking him to give you that burning heart. And if you're just here today and you're checking out Christianity, you're exploring, you're asking questions, you know, maybe you're at the point where it's like you're waiting for Jesus to do something spectacular and amazing and then you'll believe. Maybe he already has done something spectacular and amazing. He's waiting for you 
to trust him and to give your life to him. And if you're a believer this morning, let me, if you're a follower of Jesus, let me just say, keep opening his word because it points to him. Keep coming to the Eucharist. If you're a believer, if you're following Jesus, if you've been baptized, keep coming to the Eucharist to receive, to be nourished. No matter where you are on this Emmaus Road, Jesus wants to meet you there. For Jesus, any old road will do. You know, at Church of the Resurrection, we love sharing stories of people who have encountered Jesus. And we love sharing different stories, different people, different walks in life, different encounters with Jesus. They're not all exactly the same. And so this morning, I asked Kevin Russo to share his story of encountering Jesus Christ over the past couple years. And so, Kevin, please come on up and share with us what God has been doing in your life. Thanks. Good morning. Good morning. Well, when I started at Res almost two years ago now, I certainly was on a road. It was a road that was focused on accomplishments, money, possessions. I essentially called this road success. I also didn't think I was a sinner, really. I thought I was a pretty decent guy. You know, I, I was committed to my wife and my kids. I work uh, as a healthcare provider, so I serve patients. I also work with the legal system to help kind of root out corrupt healthcare providers. So in essence, I really wasn't doing the bad stuff that I saw people doing. Yet, despite the fact that I was committed in my, my job, and I was, I was a devoted spouse and dad, I lacked a sense of passion. I, I felt as if I really didn't have a calling. So I, I constantly had this low-level anxiousness and insecurity. Consequently, I was, I was always searching for someone to help me with that on my very populated road. I'd ask people, I'd read self-help books, but sadly, I got nowhere. So when I started attending here and I kept hearing about this, you know, transformation in Jesus Christ road that was uh, available for me here at the church, I was very intrigued and excited, but frankly a little scared because I knew I would have to get off my road, change directions, and, and head on this new road. So to be perfectly frank, when I started coming to the Sunday services, I, I thought, you know, this is, this is pretty nice. I like it sprinkle some God in on my Sundays, and I'm going to cruise and be even more successful in my life. But the Holy Spirit started working with me, and I started getting super emotional during church, which was completely out of character for me. Jesus was inspiring me to go deeper into following him, to become his disciple. So as I continued to attend on Sundays, I started feeling the urge to go deeper and to go daily. So I did. I started reading the Bible, praying. I took an Alpha course, started co-leading Alpha groups, joined a res group, just developed relationships with people at the church. So essentially, I was cruising on this road. And then something weird happened. My life got worse, much worse. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly what I thought. I mean, what the heck is going on? It makes no sense, this transformation. I thought life was supposed to get better. 
I was extremely tempted to take the exit ramp and to change back to the old success road, but I didn't. I started to discover that Jesus was meeting me in the everyday difficulties of life. And oddly, I found myself drawing closer to him. I leaned on him. I started learning patience and waiting for him in my suffering. Essentially, I began to trust him and gave my life to him. He began to expose my sins. I asked for forgiveness, and he broke the chains encasing my heart. And believe it or not, I started feeling joy in the midst of suffering. He opened my eyes to see that life wasn't about me. He was converting me into a humble servant. You know, as a healthcare provider, I serve people, but yet I was thinking, you know, is the only way to truly glorify God through some kind of ministry job? So as I pondered that, I remembered a sermon that Bishop Stewart gave in which he discussed a passage out of Mark where a man was possessed by demons and Jesus cured him. And the man begged Jesus to let him go with. And Jesus told him, no, he had to stay back. And he had to stay back because he had to tell others what the Lord had done for him. And I feel that perhaps that is part of my calling. You know, at my office now, I get these patients who randomly start talking to me about faith things and Christianity. And I have, a num- I have numerous examples of this, but the one that really stands out to me is this gentleman who was in his mid to late 30s who came to my practice, and he asked me if I'd be willing to go and have coffee with him outside of office hours. I said, absolutely not. Kidding. <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> of course, I, I went, we had coffee, and, you know, he's a business guy, he owns a business, he shared his story with me, but his story was just riddled with problems and drug abuse and divorce and all these things I was so clueless on. And he said, Kevin, you know, the reason I asked you to go to coffee was because there's something different about you. I just, I just sense there's something different and I want that. So I was able to share my story with him and I said, you know, you can have what I have, Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.